Mental Health Voice, Episode 6, Senator Cree Deeds. Welcome to the Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. Have you ever wondered what the best method is for reaching out to your elected officials concerning the issues you care about? Virginia State Senator Cree Deeds provides his insight on how citizens and lawmakers can work together to make a difference. Welcome, Senator Deeds. Thanks for having me. Now, Virginia has certainly changed a lot since you first were elected. Um, you know, as the population of Virginia has shifted increasingly to the urban centers, rural Virginia has fewer and fewer elected officials representing us and less political power than what had been the case in the past. How can you as a representative of rural communities help your urban and suburban peers understand the needs of our communities? You know, I, I would suggest that, that rural to urban is, is probably a little too simple for what's really happened. You know, a lot of the, the, the changes have been the development of new suburban majorities in Virginia. You know, for example, Fairfax County and Loudoun County aren't necessarily urban, but they are, and Prince William, for that matter, and even the cities of Chesapeake and Virginia Beach, they aren't necessarily urban, but they're, they're big models of suburbia that now control the, the delegations or have larger numbers. You know, part of being a rural legislator is you have to build up some seniority so that people pay attention to you, but you also have to be willing to look for win-win situations. You know, things that, that, that you, you can help more suburban or urban legislators with, but things that also work for your area. You have to be looking for ways to be creative and looking for ways to um, be interested in what helps other people. Because you have to ultimately convince people that what's good for your area, for rural Virginia, is good for everybody because um, a rising tide lifts all boats. You know, one, one thing we in, in the rural parts of the state often, you know, don't we think about things a little bit differently. But it, it's many of us think of northern Virginia as, as taking all the, the, the tax revenue. Well, then that, that's absolutely not true. Northern Virginia, Fairfax County is about one eighth of the population. They produce about one-fourth of the tax revenue, and a lot of that gets spent in, Virgi in the rest of Virginia, in rural parts of the state. We're all in this together, and, and I think to be an effective rural legislator, you've got to understand that. You've got to understand what's going to work and what the needs are in other parts of the state so you can make them, um, you can help other people get their goals accomplished, and they'll be more willing to help you get yours accomplished. We are all in this together. We're all in this together. Yeah, I, uh, one of our very first guests, uh, one of her sayings, when you know, people act like, you know, what happens here doesn't matter there, her response is because it's always fine when the leak is at the other end of the boat. Well, the, the other side is, you know, tax you, tax me, just don't, or, or, or don't tax you, ta don't tax me, tax the man behind the tree. All, you always think it's some, somebody else is going to pay the cost or somebody it's going to affect somebody else, but not me. But you've got to really think about it as, as we are all in this together, you know, traffic in Northern Virginia and traffic in Hampton roads, those problems affect us. That take dollars that could otherwise spent, be spent here. You know, we have to be thinking about that at the beginning, not at the end of, of the discussion. Sure. 
and things that work for all of us. You are a champion of Medicaid expansion. And now that we have Medicaid expansion, of course, it's not going to be implemented until January. What do you see as sort of the next steps once it's implemented? There, there, there are multiple things we have to do. We have to make sure that people know how they get signed up. And we've got to be fairly aggressive in terms of figuring out how we can get people signed up. In, in rural areas, you know, people that live out in the country are, are used to being independent, used to taking care of the things themselves. And they're not, they're not looking for, most people aren't looking for hands out. They're not looking for, for people, other people to do things for them. And sometimes they're too proud to accept help. This this is the kind of thing that this the Medicaid expansion is going to be good for everybody. Preventative health care, I think, ought to be a right. We've got to recognize it as a right. We've got to recognize the uh, the notion that we're all better when when the, as a community we're healthier. You know, our, our workforce is better. Uh, our workforce. Our workforce can do better work when they're healthier, um, and that, that redu- it reduces our cost, our long-term cost of taking care of chronic health issues. Um, you know, we, we have to do a ve- be very aggressive in terms of fig- getting people signed up. Um, there, we, we think that there are as many as 400,000 people that are eligible in Virginia. I've seen estimates that suggest as, as few as 185,000 will sign up for Medicaid expansion. You know, we we in Virginia for years, you know, Medicaid Medicaid is, a, is this program that a lot of people confuse with Medicare, which is insurance for the desperately poor, or, or insurance for the elderly. Medicaid is is insurance for the poor, and and basically it covers the minimum in Virginia, mothers and children. Medicaid expansion um, provides really the first real coverage for adults. Um, and people that are that are with within the 138 percentile of um, the poverty level, it, it, it's going to it's it's a life changer for many people, and we've got to think of it that way. And we have to do everything we can to get people signed up throughout the Commonwealth. So you see expansion not so much as a, a handout as it is giving people the tools they need to take care of themselves. Absolutely. It's not a handout. You know, we, this is a program that we've paid for with our tax dollars. Um, this is a program. You know, we, we all are better off if our workforce is healthier. You know, they're, they're, the reality, there, there was a, there's a work requirement on this bill. And, and that, that to some people, some people were offended by that. But to me, it wasn't that offensive. 100 or 75% of that work Medicaid expansion population either works full time or they live with somebody that works full time. So most of the people they are already doing the best they can and and um you know they they just don't make enough to to pay insurance premiums. Well, this is not a handout. This is a way to make sure they're safe they're they're safe and healthy and can continue to work. And and um it's it's critically important for that to happen. You know, I I think it, it it not only is a life changer for for hundreds of thousands of people potentially, but they are tax dollars. We are we're already spending. It makes sense to bring them home to Virginia. That it's a matter of tax equity, and um, you know, it it, it can't help but help Virginia's economy when you put a couple billion dollars in on top of the economy we already have. It's going to create tens of thousands of new healthcare related jobs. Right. And of course, healthcare, you know, in addition to caring for people is a big part of the economy in rural communities. You know, looking at your website, in addition to healthcare issues, you call attention to gerrymandering, education, sales tax, transportation. We know that in our rural communities, nothing happens in one sector without touching other sectors. How do you see 
those issues impacting rural health or vice versa? I, I think everything is connected. And you, you, that, that's exactly what you just said. Everything is connected. The gerrymandering issue, I think, is, is critical because, as you point out, as, as population shifts basically to the north and the east in Virginia, these giant suburban areas, um, the districts out in the western part of the state get larger and larger. Um, that means that our representation dwindles. Um, we, it, it's in our interest to make sure that, that the districts are drawn as fairly as possible. And, and when they're drawn from a partisan standpoint, that, that means that the people aren't necessarily the first consideration. You end up with, with basically electeds um, choosing their electorate. That's not the way it should happen. The people that are the people. The electorate should choose their electeds. And so I've been a proponent for redistricting reform to get rid of gerrymandering for years because I think that's fundamental to represent representative government, to changing the, the, the for the better the relationship between the people and the government. So often that relationship is damaged. People don't trust politics. They don't trust politicians. They don't trust people in government. And they've got to remember the government belongs to them. You know, it's all these other issues, whether it's transportation, which is critically important in rural Virginia, but, but it's important to everybody else, health care, public safety, education, all of those issues and the funding for all those issues depends on the, the quality of the representative government you have. And that, that that's why gerrymandering and re- redistricting is fundamental to these other issues. You know, redist- the, the transportation issues – in the, the last transportation bill we had, 2013, basically allowed Northern Virginia and Hampton Roads, these suburban areas, to take care of their own problems. And they didn't, it didn't really address the needs of the western part of the state. Too many Western Virginia legislators, too many rural legislators were so concerned about not raising taxes that they, they allowed the, the, the baby to be thrown out with the bathwater. You know, when, when you cut Northern Virginia and Hampton Roads off from the rest of us, you base and, and tell them to take care of their own problems. You you take some of the, the best tax producing areas of the state out of the equation. What if we're not going to help them fix their problems? Why should they help us fix our problems? And and we just don't have enough people or enough traffic or enough money to solve our problems by ourselves. We've got to have them in the in the equation. And so we, we have to work very hard to get that back. The way the districts are drawn are fundamental to all these issues, and that that's why I've focused on gerrymandering for a lot, lot, lot many years. Now you talked about the the government being the people and the people being involved. Do you feel like the average employee at a rural hospital or clinic understands how the decisions you make in the General Assembly and your colleagues make in the General Assembly how that plays out in their jobs, their day to day lives? You know, I, I, I worry that, that sometimes people don't pay enough attention or they don't. And, and some of it, it's not their fault. They've got lots to do. They've got families to raise. They've got to work a job, maybe two jobs to make ends meet. And they just don't have time to, to figure all this out. I've had people stop me in local stores and ask me how things are going in Washington. They, they don't. A lot of people just don't don't have time to really think through the basics of a federal system that you have decisions made in Washington by Congress and the president that, that, that are important, but, and you've got decisions made in Richmond by a legislature, by a state Senate and a house of delegates and a governor that are important. And then you also have important decisions made in every County seat by a board of supervisors of every small city or every city by a city council. And all of those decisions are important. They affect people 
in very very many dramatic ways, you know. But you see that the, the the shift in turnout in elections because we have elections every year in Virginia, and it, it's 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 frustrating sometimes. Sometimes I wonder if it's not all done on purpose to keep people confused. But you know, I, I go back to this thing that that this vignette from Profiles and Courage, when uh, you know one of John F. Kennedy's book published in about 1954, I think. And he, he, he describes basically the relationship of the people between the government and people with the government. So he says, we the people are the boss and we get the kind of political leadership, be it good or bad, that we demand and deserve. And, and that to me says it all. You know, if, if we the people take charge, if we exercise our responsibility of become, being informed voters and voting, then we get the kind of government we deserve and demand. You know, I, I worry that people that in rural health um, and, and people throughout um, just don't have enough information. And I do the best I can through the outlets I have to make sure people know what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, um, and, and also to know what the issues are. Now, as part of you making sure people know what's going on, you chair the Joint Subcommittee to Study Mental Health Services in the 21st Century. What are the biggest challenges for that group? Well, part of the challenge is, is tearing, uh, tearing down silos, you know, and I, I worry sometimes that people are so, and that, that a lot of people understand that we have problems in, in mental health care throughout Virginia, but they're so invested in, in their the preservation of their silo, their way of doing things, that they are are afraid of making changes that will rock the boat. Um, but my my focus isn't on protecting anybody's silo or anybody's job. My focus is on making sure we've got a a, a system that can respond to people's needs um, um, adequately throughout Virginia, and that means we have to, I think, find a way to to, to formulate our system we've got 40 csbs and 10 hospitals we've got we've got to make sure that we right size our system that we're all on the same page that we are um that we're paying for it the right way that's a significant issue that we're looking at right now um and 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 we have the right services and and right now you know we are focused on trying to find a a a right formula for funding CSBs, um, and, and I, I feel very good about a lot of the changes we've made, but we still have so much to do, so many fundamental things we have to fix. And you know, fun, Mental health reform is a lot like eating an elephant. You know, you take a big bite and you feel satisfied with what you've done. We, we passed legislation, I guess, in 2017 to basically remake the way the community service boards deliver services, take the, the, the required services from two to ten to, to rat fundamentally and radically change uh, the way services are provided. We haven't, had, we haven't been able to come up with funding for the whole thing yet, but I'm, I'm confident we will. But even after we accomplish that, you look at what's ahead, we still have so much to do. Um, right now, you know, we, we, we just have to get people to think outside of the box and think about doing things differently. We, we have challenges when it comes to figuring out how we're going to come up with the money to pay for the rest of the changes we're going to do. We have challenges to make people think outside of the box when it comes to right size in our system to figure out what the CSBs need to look like and, and what, ho- what the hospitals need to look like, how the pr- private hospitals figure into the equation. 
we've got fundamental issues when figuring out how to develop the right sort of workforce to take care of the needs because right now we have huge challenges in every aspect of healthcare, frankly, but particularly in mental health care, we have the challenge of figuring out how we're going to develop the health the workforce. Um, and, and, and a big challenge to me that I've kind of taken on in lots of ways is to, to figure out how to reduce the stigma so that, that, that those people who struggle with mental illness struggle with the same sort of dignity that, that people with, with physical health issues struggle have right now. You know, we, we've got a stigma that's kept people from getting the services they need, and we've got to move beyond that. Now, you have graciously agreed to be the keynote speaker for the VRHA event in November, um, which reminds me that at our event in 2013, um, we were sitting in the conference, um, and there was a speaker you know, talking about, I don't remember what, and people's phones started buzzing, and we learned at that time that you were in the hospital. Um, but we didn't know why, you know, we didn't know if you'd had a heart attack. We didn't know if you'd been a car accident. All we knew was the message was spreading very quickly that you'd been hospitalized. Um, and then we found out later about the incident with your son, you know, from at that point, you sort of went from being elected official, passing the laws about healthcare to being a healthcare recipient. How has your perception of the healthcare system of Virginia changed as a result of that incident? That, that <laughs> the experiences, you, you know, each one of us is a sum of our experiences. And um, the, some of the things I went through, some of the things my family went through, the loss of my son, I mean, that radically shifted the way I, I think about this job and think of it, it refocused my work on some things that, that I need that needed to happen. Uh, and frankly, a lot of the things that needed to happen needed to happen a long time before my son died. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, it that forced that 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 set of circumstances forced me into a position where I felt like I had to use the time I've got left in this service to to try to to get as much done as I can to build a health a, a system of mental health care that that is um is worthy of the people of, of the Commonwealth. You know, we've, you know, I, I think, and I honestly believe that we have the opportunity now, not only to build a system that works all over Virginia, but to build a system that, that can be a model for other states, because I've looked, I've looked at what other states do. And there are plenty of examples of things that people, things that, that happen right other places, but nobody gets it all right. We, we can get it right here in Virginia. And so I, that, that's what I've been focused on the last few years. And I'm going to stay, focused on it until um, until my service ends. And we appreciate that. What suggestions do you have for people who are concerned about rural health issues? What actions can they take? I think people that, that are concerned about rural health issues have an obligation to become as, form, as informed as possible about what the issues are and about what the stakes are on, on different um, bills or different ideas that are floating around and and also to be squeaky wheels to make sure that you talk to, to your the people your that are your decision makers your legislators you know legislators want to hear primarily from their constituents and they might be people that you don't like they might be, be people you don't vote for but you need to you you owe it to yourself to be there to be as knowledgeable as you can and to present to be the squeaky wheel. Let politicians respond to squeaky wheels. They were, you know, the people that, that cause 
the most trouble, that make the most noise about an issue, um, and, and that are in their face as much as they can be about about different issues are, are the ones that get the get the response. Sometimes the response isn't what you want to hear, I guess, but you you have to um, stay informed on the issues. Be be respectful of people's time, be respectful of their position, but um, always stay in touch with your legislators. Always stay in touch with, with not just with your your ideas and your opinions, but with as much fact as you can um, and, and, and tell people what the costs are going to be of your proposals. Tell people where you think the money can come from or or. or you know whether the money can be come, can come from anywhere, or if there's a, if there's a line of years that that you think the money can be phased in. You you've, you owe it to yourself to be informed, and you owe it yourself to inform the legislators, the people, that the, the decision makers that you know, um, what what you're informed about, what your views are. Because once again, you work for us. That's right. That's exactly right. You know, and honestly, you know, legislators. And people that are elected to office, they're like anybody else. They come in lots of different sizes and varieties, and they have different opinions. But most people, I think, come from a place of genuine service. They want to try to do the right thing as they see it. So sometimes people disagree about what the right thing is, but they want to provide the best service they can to the people they represent. So I think if you go to people in good faith and you tell them what you what your ideas are and what you think, um, and, and and just stay in touch with them about those things, I, I think that's the best you can do. You know, I, I remember in my my years of service, there have been times when I've been been I've gotten lots of emails and lot, or lots of phone calls before there there was email, uh, lots of letters and postcards from different groups, and it's pretty easy to see what's a form email and what's a what what is a, a our form post form po- little fill in the blanks letter or postcard, and you can tell the difference between that and what's a thoughtful. Um, letter or thoughtful response. You know, I, I don't think it's a bad idea for you as as if you are uh, if you consider yourself a leader in healthcare or anything else to take the time during the year to call up your legislator and say, "Would you have lunch with me one day? Would you have lunch and 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 with me and a group of people that that think the same way I do about a particular issue and and, and try to educate that legislator because my you know, my experience with people is that even though they might be set in their ways and might might be immovable, that sometimes, sometimes they, they, they can be moved. And sometimes a little bit of information makes a difference. You know, I've told people for years that I try to make the best decisions I can based on the best information available to me. But sometimes I don't have the best information. Sometimes Somebody else has the best information and you pass it on, it might make all the difference to me. Sometimes it won't. You know, I remember there was a, a bill, a tax bill, a tax form bill uh, three or four years ago, and it was not something that came out of a committee I was on. It was not something I heard from a constituent about, but I, I got an email from a, from a, um, a, a person in Chesterfield County that I didn't know from, from, I didn't know from Adam's apple. Um, and and that 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 email, I, I read the emails that come to me, and that email made sense. And I, I looked at it, and I looked at the bill, and I I, I didn't kill the bill, but I didn't couldn't couldn't get the support for that. But I made enough of a of a difference that a lot of people listened to me. I, I 
I changed some minds on the floor of the Senate that day. Um, and sometimes, you, you know, lightning can strike. Sometimes you can change minds. And so you have to, you have to stay focused and you have to be respectful of people's times and talk to them. If you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and healthcare in rural America? Well, yeah, I wish I could go back and, and write a better health care bill so that we had more coverage and, and um, at, at less cost. And I think that could be done. Um, and all these people that talk about repeal and replace, if they were if they were ever serious about that, they, they could have done it. I'm confident they could have done it, could have come up with something. But they weren't they weren't really serious about that. They, they just wanted repeal. So that's why that didn't happen. I, I would I would come up with with a with more with something to provide even more access to people because I I think Pete, there are lots of people that are falling through the cracks. But even more fundamental than that, I'd go back and 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 focus on teaching parents and students healthier habits so you can reduce obesity, reduce smoking, reduce dependence on substances that I think are, are fundamental to some of the health problems we, particularly we in rural Virginia, have to face. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time. And we are looking forward to hearing from you face-to-face in November at the VRJ conference. Okay. Thanks very much. That's Virginia Senator Cree Deeds reminding you that a little bit of an effort can make a big difference. Get informed, make noise, and be the squeaky wheel for your community. If you want to be part of the conversation about rural health, you could join VRJ at the Rural Health Policy Institute, February 5-7 through 7 in Washington, D.C. For details, visit vrj.org, click the calendar tab, and scroll down to that event. The Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association.